the way high school students navigate the admissions process has changed. But has your outreach strategy? It's time to meet Mongoose. Designed with your admissions goals in mind, Mongoose's market-leading conversational software allows your school to create a unique, omni-channel communication strategy that helps you stand out from the competition and helps you connect with more prospects with less work. Meet students where they already are with their premier texting platform, Cadence, or instantly deliver personalized engagement to each website visitor with their AI conversational chatbot, Harmony. To learn more about Mongoose's offerings, head on over to mongooseresearch.com forward slash enrollify. Again, that's mongooseresearch.com forward slash enrollify. Welcome to Fanatical Fridays, a weekly podcast where I sit down with Mickey Baines, a principal at Kennedy & Company, which is a higher education consulting firm, to discuss the traits, the strategies, and the tactics that separate the best enrollment management teams from the rest of the pack. I'm Zach Cruz, founder here at Enrollify. Enjoy the show. Good morning. How are you doing today, my friend? I am well. Uh, fall is in. I mean, I think everybody is, well, I think all but maybe one of our clients has um, started uh, the fall term. I think we did have one school that's like starting next week. I'm like, whew, that's late for most schools, but but awesome. Uh, but everybody else is underway. It's kind of good to see um, the the energy that even though it's all remote via Zoom these days, that you can just see from talking to folks that are excited about having people on the campus yeah. and having that. Even, and I'll say this is my prior experience working in higher ed too when I was working with non-traditional students. Even when you weren't necessarily involved with the students that create that energy and activity this time of the year, it still comes into your space. It still you know energizes you, or if it doesn't, energize you, then I would suggest, um, you know, maybe this isn't the line of work for you, but, <laughs> you know, it's just so refreshing and cool to see and it just a new vibe. And, um, and so it's always good. Um, and I'm finding it a little more challenging this year when it's all remote and I don't get to see it in person. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's just still cool to see and experience, um, this time of year. So yeah, riding high off of others energy. That's, that's good. That's, what I'm, that's what's happening. Yeah, I've seen um, several folks who I'm actually like connected with a bunch of my professors from um, from school from from undergrad, and I've seen several of them post uh, on LinkedIn. A couple of them are like pretty prolific uh, LinkedIn posters, and um, they you know are talk they they're writing like these long messages about how exciting it is to just see students kind of walking around, how they are like reinvigorated, and they're excited about sort of like you know, their classes, but even just, it's a, it's a reminder to them that like they are where they're supposed to be. And that is in, in higher ed. So it's been cool to see like faculty members posting about just how awesome it is to be back with students as well. Yes. So an article this morning, um, about some faculties, I think it was university of Texas paying students to wear masks. Um, huh. Did you didn't read it? That's the headline, folks. That is not the story. I don't know what all was behind that, but that was the headline. But it was inside of higher ed, so it's not like clickbait. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, and I and I'm also reading a little bit more about um, again also from inside higher ed about the community colleges and some of the um, strategies and tactics they're rolling out to um, advertise and promote their themselves and their programs uh, for students. So it seems like. Um, 
they're they're a little more assertive. At least some of the community colleges here are a little more assertive than they've been in the past. Hmm. Which I think, well, a is is good for them. They're they're I, I find most community colleges when I work there are further behind. Um, you know those efforts that the four years um, are partaking in, and to see them jumping in and making it a little more competitive space, because like it or not, they are competing. Four years are competing a little bit more with community colleges. Um, than they were maybe 20 years ago. So it's good to see them catching up and, and jumping in the game and being a little more assertive and, and highlighting the, the benefits of their institution. So, yeah. yeah. And I mean, you know, we're in late August, Labor Day is just around the corner and, you know, it's really time to start thinking about fall recruitment strategies, even though we got this class in, it's time to kind of focus on, focus on, you know, the next class. Um, hopefully folks are already thinking about that, but Mickey, like, what are you thinking about right now? Like, what are you encouraging your, your clients to, to consider as they have hopefully already done some work to, uh, map out what their fall recruitment plan will, will look like. But for those who are still sort of like on the fence or haven't, you know, you know, buttoned everything up and, or are still sort of like debating, do we do that open house? Do we not do the open house? Do we do virtual? Do we go, you know, do we try to do an in-person event? What are you talking to folks about what do you think is most important for people to be aware of right now in this moment well you know the four-year institutions that or let's just say institutions focused on traditional undergraduate students their recruitment plans probably are are pretty set because they you know generally start that fall travel season assuming well when they when they were thinking about this a couple months ago they were thinking hey this is going to happen yeah I, it, it may still happen but it may happen at a smaller um uh, to, a, to a smaller extent than they originally thought, depending upon how high schools are reacting. But, but I'd say a lot of that planning is probably done. Non-traditional programs, graduate programs, online programs, those those um, don't have the same length of recruitment cycle. So they're, I would say, jumping into that planning mode, and that is actually what is on my mind a lot right now. Um, in in that, I mean the the you know the the traditional undergraduate plans, I, you, they're probably debating a little bit of what you were just talking about in terms of open houses. You know, is this, do we have this? What do we have? How is it different? Um, you know, how do we get back on track? You know, I went into this year thinking, well, you know, we, we get to go back to visits and um, and that will hopefully, re, you know, help us recover from what happened, but uh, what happened from a couple of years ago. But I, I am also coming off of seeing two institutions uh, near me um, where I have near and dear friends and mentors uh, in leadership positions, uh, reporting record first-year classes. Wow. Yeah. And these are private liberal arts institutions, small private liberal arts institutions, one in Maryland and one here in Pennsylvania. And I, um, I w was surprised, excited for them. Um, can't wait to talk to those folks to, to see what they think and what they attribute to that success. Um, and it also, I've uh, I've got a, a friend who's also in a senior leadership position at a much larger institution that has said for years, at least to me, that he would love to find a way to to get rid of fall travel altogether. He mm. thinks he can make his class without it. He's never taken that bold step yet. Um, but you know, knowing that travel was zero or near zero last year, and these expensive private liberal arts institutions somehow had a record enrollment without it, I think it's just further evidence that it could be done. 
Now, I just have to figure out what what was it they did that did it. That's why I'm really intrigued and want to know. Um, but in terms of enrollment planning, let's I want to get back there to the to non-traditional programs or graduate programs and online programs. Those those and we've gotten a couple of questions recently, folks. So, you know, get, do you have a, t- a recruitment uh, plan template that you could share? Huh. Um, and, you know, we just ask a, just a couple of follow up questions on that. And, you know, and, and where are you? And they're ready to, to plan. And this is over the last few weeks. And I'm like, well, you know, how, you know, what 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 role is this year's numbers playing into it? And it, and it wasn't. Um, huh. I shouldn't be surprised by that, but I'm still surprised and. And, and honestly, I get a little frustrated with that, um, you know, to put together a plan that you think can be successful without consideration of thinking about what you just spent your time doing the past year and whether or not that was successful or not. It, uh, I, I, I don't I, I have trouble comprehending that. Yeah. Um, you know, and and I I don't know. I just see this probably a little differently than others. But but, you know, I want to know. You know, what did we do? What worked? What didn't? And I want to expand upon what worked. I want to either tweak or eliminate what didn't and replace if something or limit with something new and different. I had a board in my office when I was still a director of one of these programs, and it could be filled with 30 or 40 ideas. Hmm. And we yeah. might every year pick two or three, maybe five. Um, and someone be held over, someone be erased um, because they don't fit anymore. And we just work as an individual. What is it we want to, re, you know, replace something with if it's not working? And if you're not having that conversation, a, you're doing the same old, same old. And I honestly don't understand why you need a plan at that point, because yeah. not much is going to change. You're going to see less results in most of those activities than you got this year, because other people are doing other newer things that will do a better job engaging people differently, catching their eyes differently, marketing and recruitment wise, um, and and you already know what you did. So why do you need a plan for that? That's a wasted activity of time you could spend doing something else. Um, you know, just pull up the plan that you had from seven years ago when you when someone made you write it, change the date, remove any reference to years on it, and just have the months when you do stuff, and that that's your annual plan. And you know that I, I don't understand why you need somebody else's template if you're not looking at it beyond that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and so I think that's important. And the other thing is. If you want this, you know, if you're trying to put together a plan and you want to add things new and you're not assessing it, well, are you just adding more on top of what you're doing? Because then that's doing more with with the same amount of time. Yeah. Someone's going to get frustrated and burnt out from that. So it's helpful to say, okay, we want to do something new. What are we going to reduce the effort of in other things? And let's document that. Let's declare what it is we're doing. So when you're questioning yourself three months from now, you can go back and say, this is why. This is why we're doing it. And if it's not working, that's okay. You can think about it and pivot. But if it is working, then you got to look at and you don't have time for other things. You've got to make some decisions about what to cut out. Yeah, yeah. That's unfair to everyone else. And you're putting them in a bad spot if you don't do that. You're making their life, even if it's just the decision. Well, I've got to do these other 10 things. Help them out. Tell them what three things they don't need to do as much or at all so that they can do these other new things. Be sure that you have a way to train them on the new things that you want to do so they know how to do them the way you're expecting of them. Like these are all things that need to be a part of that plan, um, and they should be driven by looking at the results that you had. So if you want to try something new, it should be something new to address 
a hole in your numbers. Where did you, where did you underperform? Yeah. Let's yeah. look at that and let that drive it and have that rationale and context so that then you can go into it with a purpose. You can go into it thinking about how you're going to measure it so that you know if it worked and if it didn't, what you might do differently or, you know, whether differently meaning tweaking it or eliminating it the following year. I generally, if I try something new, I don't want to just try it once. I want to go into it thinking I want to try something new for at least two years, hopefully three or two cycles um, or at least three. So, so if it doesn't work the way I anticipated, I need to understand why it didn't. Did I have bad expectations? Did, uh, did I just not train the team properly? Did I go about it the wrong way? How can I tweak it to give it a fair shot so that it has an opportunity to work? Because if I had 30 ideas on the board, I only picked three, there, there had to be a reason for those three. I want yeah. to give them a fair shot to work because otherwise the other 37 ideas that got pushed out lost out on that opportunity. So if I'm picking the best three, and I say I, it's really, I, I involve all the people in this. But when we're picking those three, you, we want to be sure they're given their fair opportunity to succeed. And then I've got to look at what I'm pulling out and why I'm pulling it out. Um, you know, and, and I, I think that's just critical. And then, if, and then you have to, you know, part of the plan needs to be how you will early on embed mechanisms to track and assess those things. Hmm. And yeah. I, that's just a critical piece. And if that's not in there, then you're not holding yourself accountable. And realistically, that plan, whomever's most responsible for that plan should be how their, their performance is based for the year. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, I took great pride in that plan, put a, put myself out there on limbs many times, <laughs> but it was a shared plan for the team and everyone knew their role in the, in the plan. And mine was the overall success of it. And I said this many times, if it doesn't work and we fall flat on our face, I'm accountable. Can me, demote me, suspend me, whatever is the appropriate action depending on the results. Yeah. Now, if we do well, keep that in mind as well. But, <laughs> you know, um, and, and I don't, maybe it's fortune. I will say it's not luck. Um, but, you know, I have not had really poor results in doing that. But that is really, really critical to me. Um, that that when you're putting this together, you're looking at what has happened and what has uh, resulted from those actions to help drive the next. And unless you're scrapping everything and starting a new, you've got a brand new, you know, say we're moving everything online this year um, based on the results. Well, okay, yeah, you, you you don't have to do the same level of assessment because there's not a whole lot of data to assess if you weren't fully online. But there's still some things you should be considering as you're building in that plan. So. I'll pause yeah. there. No, I, uh, you're on fire. I love it. A uh, couple, couple thoughts. One is uh, circling back to what you mentioned about, right, testing out a, a new approach or a particular uh, strategy on a segment of students or, you know, w within um, an area where you underperformed last year. I was talking to a school, uh, it was earlier this week, and they were expressing that they have a really hard time actually attracting uh, local students. And so a strategic priority for this institution was we want to enroll more people from our local community. And um, they have pretty robust like uh, digital strategies for folks kind of outside of the local community, but they really don't do much to try to sort of like dispel some myths around how the school is perceived uh, in, in sort of, again, the heart of their community. And so as we were brainstorming, there was this idea about, hey, what if we did this like 
cool video campaign, a video first approach to uh, communication strategy. Um, and people got really excited about that. But then I was like, well, you know, like, I don't know, like, how do we do this? Like, this is a big risk. If we put all of our eggs in this basket, like, will this actually work? Uh, and then someone pipes up on the call and they say, hey, well, what if we, right, since we're already not attracting this particular audience and it, we're, we've, we've, it feels like we've tried over the past few years to try to get them, what if we enroll them in this particular sequence and, and test it out so what and you know it was this super cool like aha moment right for everybody on the call and it's like oh cool like let's take this strategy that the institution is interested in testing out and potentially rolling out sort of like you know uh, across audiences but for this next year let's just test it with this audience that we're already not getting so we can't like get fewer of them than we're already getting right like it, it's not working what we're doing right now isn't working let's pilot this sort of program with this particular constituency, see how it performs, and then let that dictate whether or not we sort of roll out this particular approach um, to to other audiences. So love, you know, the point that you made about identifying sort of, okay, where are we not winning? What areas are we falling short? And then use those, you know, areas as an opportunity to test new things. Because again, like, you're already not realizing success there um, and assuming it's not like totally detrimental right like use that as an opportunity to you know incubate something new or or experiment with a particular new approach to to recruitment so love your comments there and then the second thing um, I wanted to say just around sort of like attribution right one of the things we've been doing a lot of work with with folks on is helping sort of like uh, reduce the pressure when it comes to to attribution. And what, what I mean by that is saying, look, at the end of the day, right, you need technology to tell you what prospects did on their journey to enrollment, right? You need to be able to track the digital footprint of your prospective students. But in terms of credit, like, and in terms of value, like, that's where you can have some fun. Like, there is no, like, one recipe for exactly how to, you know, uh, how to sort of uh, attribute each action a prospect took on their journey to enrollment. Meaning, right, like, we can assign, Mickey, like, we, we've talked about lead scoring before, we can assign sort of, like, five points to every, you know, website page visit, and 20 points to every, you know, email open and click, and 50 points if they come to an event, right? We can, we can do all of that. But in terms of assigning sort of like credit or signing attribution to like who, you know, what particular marketing strategy or tactic or channel gets credit for this population of students, that's up to the school. Like you get to decide that and that can evolve and change over time, right? So marketing attribution in terms of like how the attribution is actually allocated, like that is subjective. Like you you and your team can, can figure that out. And What's not okay is you can't not have any system in place, right? Otherwise, you have, you know, next year, as we've talked about a zillion times, you're going to look back and say, well, you know, where should we spend our money again? Oh, I, I don't know. We don't really know what actually worked well, what didn't work well, et cetera. So uh, let's just do what we did last year. Like that, not having any system is unacceptable. But what I think is like really cool for uh, enrollment management teams is to think critically about, okay, what sort of recipe, what sort of like template, what sort of framework do we want to use to at least for this next year, assign credit to particular actions. And I think that that can actually be like a really fun um, project to kind of work on together as a team. Again, assuming you've got the technology in place, but you know, and I think why it's why that particular approach is is exciting and can be sort of this like unifying effort is it makes people think a little bit more intentionally about oh okay wow like all the you know we've got our average prospect has a you know visits a hundred website pages before they inquire 
interesting. Let's what what would it take to reduce that average of you know, number of web website pages to fifty? Oh, maybe we should like work on our website. Or oh, you know what? We're realizing that nobody clicks email three in this particular Confflow. Huh? That's interesting. Let's revisit email three and see if we can make it better. So, anyways, I I, I digress. But um, those two things sort of uh, stood out as you were as you were chatting about sort of the need to be both reflective and then also sort of like intentional moving forward. Well, I think it's peeling it back, uh, peeling, peeling, peeling it back another layer to to really talk about what what does it mean to assess and to pivot or use new ideas, right? Assessing the effective of effectiveness of not just your entire campaign, but of uh, individual campaigns, of messages within a specific campaign, to to say, hey, here's, you know, we're putting out a new campaign isn't going to get fewer than zero. Uh, which we're already getting, you know, if we're not getting (laughs) any local students, we can't get a negative number. Um, And, uh, you know, and, and, and so I would say, you know, just thinking of that as an example, you know, you've got, you might have a new campaign that you're putting out there. That's for them, video based, love it. Uh, I would hope that the campaign isn't just to get them to a certain point in the funnel. And then you go back treating them like everyone else. I probably want to ensure that that campaign um, that it's a series or, or there are components in the campaign that look at it, but top of the funnel, getting them to campus, getting them to apply, getting them to deposit, that it continues all the way forward through that. Um, and then you can then you can go so far as not just to say how many new students did we get, how did it work compared to that pilot B or group B, um, you know, for each stage of the funnel. Hmm, so did we yeah. see more people show interest um, to inquire? and give us their information and then they didn't take the step forward or did that, you know, where, where did we do well within each of those? Um, and then you know how to dress. So if you say you got them halfway there, but you didn't get them all to enroll, then okay. The first part worked. Now, you know what to focus on for next year so you can sustain this. Yeah. The other thing I would say is where I see uh, folks go wrong from a recruitment standpoint is doing that saying We want to focus on the local community. We've got one person on the team that visits the local community, and so we just want to increase um, our presence physically in this local community by 30%. Um, okay, well, what, what are you taking off that one person's plate so that they can be out in the community 30% more? They're not addressing that piece, whether that's taking another recruitment area off of that person's plate or saying this person isn't going to increase 30%. We're going to, you're going to increase 30% by having these and other individuals support being out in the community. It doesn't have to be admissions folks. You might have other people that live in the area. It could be the chair of the uh, of the business department. It could be, I know the VP of enrollment or dean of admissions. They can help partake in that um, as long as we know that the goal is to increase local students enrolling. It's not so sending the president to the chamber of commerce ain't going to do it. Yeah, like yeah. That, that, that. Not that that's bad, but that's not necessarily going to help you for fall twenty two local student enrollment like that's just not 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 going to be it you're going to need to need to do more than that so um so i think you know those having those critical thoughts and assessment that i think is is important to have um yeah so i i think that's i think those are really great um components and way to kind of take it another step and and think more critically about it one of the things um just before i forget i feel like a broken record because i've 
probably said this on like three or four podcasts in the past, like, I don't know, two weeks uh, at this point, but um, I'll say it again because I think it, it aligns with what you're what you're sharing. Um, and I'm sure that not every single person listening to this has also listened to all four of those episodes. Um, but, <laughs> um, you know, my, my grandfather, he was an engineer and he talked uh, the, he talked about this uh this idea that he really just like instilled in us anytime we were working in his wood shop about like measuring twice and cutting once i'm sure he did not come up with oh, yeah. that but yep. um i may i might have even talked about this on this show but what i i was thinking about that a little bit more earlier this week i was working on a, a blog post and um what i like about that is when it comes to planning right like it's like i w w what what that uh says to me right is it you should spend double the amount of time planning as you do sort of executing, right? Like a rough, a rough two to one ratio, measure twice and, and then cut once. What that's not saying, right, is measure three times or five times or 10 times and then cut, right? And I think sometimes when it comes to any development of anything new, and this is true outside of higher ed too, but especially inside higher ed when we're talking about student recruitment is that there, there can be sort of this like uh, this paralysis when it comes to anything new needs to be so well thought out, so well planned, so well, uh, we, we have to be very clear how we're going to define success if we're going to pilot this new initiative. And sometimes I think that really great ideas can get killed in the planning phase simply because we assign more pressure to them because they're new than we do if it's something that we've done, you know, 10 times before. And so I love this idea of like anytime, you know, you are implementing a new approach, a new strategy, it is important to measure twice before you cut, right? Be sure that this is this is a, a wise approach, but right, you can't really afford to measure three, four, five, ten times before you cut, right? So I think it, at the end of the day, it's important to be intentional, but also like there's going to always be risk here. But I would argue that way, way, way more enrollment management teams kind of opt in for the conservative path than they do for, you know, the the, the path that could, you know, very well sort of be the opportunity they've been looking for to stand out. So anyways, for, for whatever that is worth, I think it's important to remember planning is important, right? Intentionality is really, really important, but don't like mess with that ratio too much. Yeah, well, and don't overestimate, um, you know, what is trying something different. You know, the yeah, yeah, that's the, true. The increasing local students isn't necessarily a huge shift yeah. uh, in in what you do. Right now, if you enroll a thousand students every fall and and thirty of them are local, and you want that to be three hundred, yes. Um, but but as you go into this, I think it's important to declare what is it you really want it to be. Um, for two reasons. Uh, the first is if you want to go from 30 to 300, you know, to what extent is that change? So I know how radically different those efforts need to be. Yeah. But if yeah. you, you know, but the second point is if it's 30 to 40, um, you know, yeah, you might increase your visibility in the community, you know, by 30%, or you might roll out this new campaign. But you want to think about what activities we're doing and what results from those activities can we get so that we can say, okay, doing what we've done should get us 28, um, maybe 30. But let's yeah. say it gets to 20. What am I doing to get the next 12? And and what role does all these play? A campaign um, that's new and pilot, which I really like that idea, Zach. But if that only focuses on getting inquiries and not going all the way through the funnel um, to get those students, I don't know that, that I can count X number of students from that because that's not designed to get them all the way there. 
Yeah, um, yeah. And so I would want to be sure that not that I don't count that as an activity, but that I don't rely so heavily on that activity to get them enrolled. What else am I doing? And so I think that's important. You know, you know, the bigger the change, the bigger, you, you know, if, if I'm, you know, I'm not tweaking what I did. I may need to do a, some things significantly differently or with significant difference. But I think those those need to be in mind. And, and to say, you know, 30, 40, don't panic. We're not trying to rebuild the wheel. We're just making it a little bit larger. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think we need to have that perspective when you think about the change. So I, I, I think we've, I think this is a good place to pause and, and, and wrap. And, and if we didn't hit on a topic as we talk about this, there are that spurred a question in any of the listeners' mind. Connect with us, ask the question we can answer. Um, I think it's something. This this topic, something we'll continue to flush out in the coming weeks. I know I'm working on a uh, a blog post about this myself because it is high on my. Um, mind yeah um, we've got lots of questions about it and, and as you can tell with the intensity with which we've talked uh it is something i care about yeah so clearly uh, no it's great yeah. and and you guys so, uh, uh, and you're working on you're working on putting together a, a webinar uh that touches at least yeah, on this topic it, right yeah the second half of september we'll be uh, doing a webinar one of my colleagues here at the company um who focuses on online um program marketing and those types of things. So um, we'll, we'll be doing this on, you know, building your your next recruitment plan for the next year. Awesome. So yep. stay tuned. And um, if you will, we'll send out some details about that webinar too for, for all you listeners. And uh, I'm sure it'll be well worth your time, especially if you enjoyed okay. uh, today's conversation. All right, yes. Mickey, it's been fun. Thank uh, you, oh, we forgot to do our special segment, but I guess we'll have to save that for next time. We'll save that. We'll okay. save that. We'll okay. save Stay that. tuned, yep. folks. we got an exciting segment for next week. <laughs> All right, take care, man. Yep. Everyone, thanks for listening. Hey friends, we hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Fanatical Fridays with Mickey Baines. If you have an idea for a topic you think we should cover on this show or riff on, please feel free to reach out directly to me at Zach, that's Z-A-C-H, at enrollify.org, um, and I will bring it up with Mickey, and we will chat about it on an upcoming episode. So again, that's Zach, Z-A-C-H, at enrollify.org, and reach out if you have questions, comments, thoughts, ideas for things that we should be talking about. All right, guys, take care, and we'll see you next week.